Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted change maker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hi, and welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. I'm Dawn. We've got Shanti virtually next to me, and I am so excited today to introduce one of my very best friends, uh, a very important team member on the Shanti Zach team, and yeah, just a man that I consider basically a brother who started his own business, his first business, excuse me, like, I don't know, almost straight out of high school or something, definitely while he was still in university and sort of created a game-changing movement in British Columbia. So without further ado, my almost little brother, uh, Dustin Erickson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks very much. It's an honor to be here. I'll try to live up to even a little bit of that glowing intro. Thank you. <laughs> of course. I had like more as I was walking home from the cafe today. I was like, oh, and I'm going to say this and this, but it, it all left. So we'll just have to have it come out um, through the podcast today. So yeah, Shanti, maybe I'll let you start uh, chatting. Otherwise, I'll keep on just gushing about how awesome Dustin is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I could gush for for days over this guy and I'm so grateful that you brought us together and the positive ripple effect of that has been so tremendous and the other day I told Dustin it's like my favorite thing about you is just really how present you are like it's this palpable thing that you bring and I so appreciate it and appreciate you Dustin is our executive assistant. He is just incredibly talented in so many ways and also a, a really interesting human being with a very diverse knowledge set, particularly around some things we're going to talk about today that might be a little bit taboo. Our yeah. Conversations. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. You know, these things that we're talking about today, though, they are like less and less taboo over these last couple of years. And Shanti, I think that your mic cut out just for a second. So I'm just going to say that Dustin is our executive assistant. That was the only thing that was missing, but it was kind of like he is our and he's so, so yeah, oh, Dustin's our executive okay. assistant yes. and joined our team um, this past August because <laughs> I'm going to tell that story. Actually, he was working remotely for a crypto company. I won't name names. And he was like, oh my God, 
can I tell this story, Dustin? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm so he like, book. I was like, Hey, how's it going? And he's like, Oh my God, I think I'm just being let go from my job for being 10 minutes late, 10 minutes late to a meeting again. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I'm pretty sure we can totally use you full time. Like, would you be interested? Um, so, uh, Watch out for me. I'll sc- scoop you up uh, quickly. Yeah. Tom is like a master recruiter. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have to say it uh, was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I'm oh, so much happier in my current role. And it has opened so many new doors in my mind and like career vision path than, okay. you know, were open before. So I couldn't be happier. I think that's like one of the things we're really about, um, both in the team, but in general, hey, Chantel is like that idea of helping people see different futures that they never could have imagined, whether it's entrepreneurial or just like in leadership positions, creative thought leadership positions that, I mean, this whole industry is so new still, right? And so many people from the outside of it have no idea of the possibilities, that are available. And I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but I just wanted to quickly, before we go into anything else, say that I hope we talk a little bit about Notion and how you mastered that program. And I think it like could probably get into uh, like what, anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop there. And, and uh, just for entrepreneurs who are out there who are like, get a little bit weirded out when we get into kind of what we're going to start talking about. I think that we are definitely going to wrap up with like the connection. In my opinion, this is something I want to pull out of like Notion, the project management software and psychedelics. So <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, we are going to pull these two elements of the conversation. Together. It's, it's called opening a loop. And I, I got, I got, I got a needle. I, I have plans for this. I'm so, so excited. Yay. So let's start where we like to start. And we totally stole this or uh, borrowed it from Lacey Phillips from to be magnetic and the expanded podcast. And that is What's your sign? Tell us, who are you based on the stars, Dustin Erickson? I am a solid, solid Virgo, as (laughs) if like a Virgo factory made me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're one of my favorite favorite Virgos. (laughs) I do. Yeah, I wonder, I want a little bit more of an expansion. Like, what do you mean? For anyone who doesn't know maybe what... Yeah, exactly. Known for. Yeah, the thing I the thing I tend to connect with most when it comes to that is I'm hyper organized and conscientious. I tend to over plan. I'm probably I'm on kind of like a bit of a travel circuit right now. And I think I'm the only person traveling that carries almost two of everything, including like right down to like a second computer to do my job in the event that one breaks or like a second headlamp in my backpack, even though I have one on my head already, Um, things like that. (laughs) So those come straight out of the like Virgo power playbook. And I, I do have a tendency to pull out things at exactly the right time for groups of people. So one example was we went to a hot spring the other night and, um, as we sit down, people are like, oh, you know, I really wish we had some candles. And I like 
literally on cue, like pull like eight candles out of my bag, <laughs> like light them. People are like, what? And I'm like, these are the Virgo powers I was given. They're, they're a great responsibility. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, amazing. And do you know your Enneagram? I'm a manifester. Maybe that's not an Enneagram. Human design. Sure. Let's go into human design. I love it. Yeah. That's about as far as I know, actually. Um, I tend to take more of my cues about this kind of thing from you. You, (laughs) you, I take it from Shanti. the person that that (laughs) tells me this stuff about myself. So maybe you could tell us. Sure. Well, Shanti, (laughs) what do we think his Enneagram is? And we can get him to do it afterwards and maybe put it in the show notes. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin was a five. Mm -hmm. And an eight, maybe? Or eight. Yeah. Like more logical really well researched and thorough and organized. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then also like a little bit like counterculture, be your own self. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to tell totally. another story, Dustin. Poor, <laughs> poor thing. I really am like an older sister. I think he knows. Um, so during like that first lockdown during the pandemic, Dustin and I were actually living together uh, on this house in Kelowna, BC that was right on the beach. And he had been gifted from a mentor of his, like this Lululemon jumpsuit that was too small for him. (laughs) He would like wear it every day and then like go out and practice yoga on the beach for like the whole day. I was working for you already. So I was like there like writing quizzes as fast as my little fingers could type. and Like hanging out on teacher Reddit to like find out what people were interested in. And I like look out my window and see Dustin like, building a, a giant like uh, altar on 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 the on the oh my goodness like breaking the sand into like a perfectly like beautiful circular um practice space so anyway uh sorry <laughs> well i think that's actually maybe a good example of like the virgo when applied to like spirituality and personal practice it's mm-hmm. like i i will be able to practice as long as the sand has been raked completely flat and free of all debris. <laughs> yes. Now I can drop in. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> He's like standing on his pinky finger on one arm. And okay, I'm exaggerating, but not but not by very much. Um, yeah. So yeah, super fun to work with you. Uh, and I definitely miss your practice inspiration. <sighs> yeah, it's been a pleasure to work with you guys as well. I think what's so interesting about the team that you have been building over the past couple of years is that there's such a a real sense of connection and a spiritual basis for what you're creating, which, and it's like highly ethical marketing. And it kind of blows me away. I haven't experienced a marketing company that makes my heart feel good. <laughs> and that's like definitely an overgeneralization coming from someone who hasn't been in the marketing industry very much. But it's just such a joy to, to be present for the conversations that you're having and how you think about each client and then how you deliver it. It's, it's an amazing process. So. Thanks, Dee. It's like if you guys, <laughs> who is ever listening, like to have yogis marketing for you is a very special thing. <laughs> <sighs> 
Okay. So speaking of yogis and marketing, or maybe not exactly yogis, but more of that like counterculture business uh, thing, can you tell us, first of all, how old were you when you started your first business? And also like, what was it? I mean, I know I enjoyed it, but let's, let's let you tell the story to our peeps out there in podcast listening land. Sure. Yeah. I was 21 when I started Kelowna's first sensory deprivation and flotation tank business. So it was a physical studio where we had a bunch of flotation tanks, which are essentially quiet, dark spaces to relax, where you can be completely weightless with your own thoughts, with your own consciousness and drop into deep relaxation and meditation. And it was a really special time in my life because personally, I had the opportunity to have access to this incredible healing and consciousness development tool that I could use all the time. And Mm -hmm. I grew immensely as a person through that practice, but also through kind of like a trial by fire entrepreneur's journey. And I played with so many different business models during that time. And I experimented a lot with my own mind and uh, learned, you know, through trial and error, how to navigate altered states to optimize idea flow, to connect different concepts, to think differently, and to grow as a person and as an entrepreneur. And I feel very fortunate for that time in my life. It was like a a bit of like a a laboratory of sorts um, that kind of crossed over with like psychedelic church at times. So (laughs) it was, yeah, it was a beautiful time. And I had that business for about five, six years, and then I sold it two years ago. It still exists, and you can go to it, you know, anytime you're in Kelowna. And it's called Float Space, right? It is called Float Space. I forgot to mention the name. That's right. No, (laughs) you know, just in case somebody listening actually, like, not to be a total data nerd, we do have a lot of listeners in Kelowna, and I imagine we'll have more of them for this if if you choose to throw it up on your uh, your social media tiny presence or not. But yeah, just to drop a like, go to Float Space. It really is amazing. Um, and even though it's shifted, I think it still holds a lot of the same yeah so that mm-hmm. sort of vibe that you created yeah float space is the first place oh yeah not the only but the first place I ever uh experienced that too and it's so yeah it was so so amazing I remember after my my first session I also got like a Reiki treatment with one of our mm. friends and I went home afterwards and I remember going into a twist and like my body felt so much more mobile and malleable after like Reiki and floating for like 90 minutes or whatever so yeah really experience we were to look at psychedelics as a spectrum and like not necessarily the substances but but psychedelic practices I would say that sensory deprivation is somewhere on that spectrum probably in like the more gentle introductory space maybe alongside meditation, breathing practices, something where you don't have to consume a a mind altering substance, but through the power of your own 
brain waves, you can enter an altered state. So I, for anyone who is not familiar with sensory deprivation or what a float tank even is, maybe we could just break that down and then touch on the sensations that arise when you're in that zone. Because for me, my experiences with sensory deprivation are very few, but very profound. Like Mm -hmm. being back in the womb is how I would explain it. I mean, that is such a great entry point into the, the felt experience of it. The float tank is designed as this environment that removes all external sources of stimulation on the body, including temperature difference across the skin. Um, and when you have no activation of your like proprioceptors in the skin, some really interesting signals uh, start to start to happen. And one of those is an activation of like the deep relaxation response. Um, and it's actually characterized by its own spectrum of hormones and its own spectrum of cognitive waves. And so one of the things that's really interesting if we talk about entering a brainwave state is often we'll associate it with like a level, like you're in alpha or you're in beta or you're in theta or something like that. But the brain is constantly producing all the waves Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's just that in what amounts and which ones are more dominant and in what kind of patterns determine what state of mind you're in. So we like to think of it in terms of like different levels, but if you really were to look at the gradient of potential conscious states, it's kind of infinite. Like there's as many combinations as you could possibly put together. And what float tanks tend to do is skew brainwaves into a lower longer frequency into that like low alpha, theta, and even delta brainwave state. And as you get practiced in the tank, what you start to notice is that you actually have more control over these brainwaves than you thought possible. And you can start to kind of like navigate them with more precision with the more practice that you have and you can recognize, oh, like when I start to feel this in my consciousness, I'm in this kind of a state. Um, And how can I get there more often, more reliably and in any kind of environment because they don't belong to the float tank, they belong to your own mind. And that's one of the beautiful reasons that, that floating can be so beneficial for especially like high performance people or people that desire increased performance, because when you can start to develop the skill of managing your own brainwave states and then apply it to different purposes, now we are getting into that psychedelic territory where you've got a handle on altered states of consciousness, aside from just like the rudimentary waking, sleeping, focus, or even like flow. There's so many kinds of flow um, and you can call on those things the more practice you get. It'd be like going from like a three speed bike to a 21 speed bike. Like what you can get out of that bicycle's performance is just so different and it just takes practice. And the float tank is a really good environment to like actually practice that because you've got that dedicated space and the environment itself is skewing the physiology 
towards sort of that practice space in your own mind. Mm. Yeah, it's a special tool. Yeah, that's super fascinating. I didn't know that about brainwaves. I thought, it, yeah, it would just be, okay, you're in alpha, now switch over into beta, but no. And that makes total sense. And that you would, with practice, be able to more finely tune and drop into the state you want to be in. The state that allows you to show up as your best self, as your most creative, productive, connected, really least fearful self. And maybe some of our listeners are wondering what sensory deprivation would have to do with entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship is like, there's fear coming at you from every direction. If you can't manage that, learn how to navigate it and deal and transcend, how can you function? Yeah, for sure. I definitely, and for people who are just like, I think some people are even just afraid of the tank. And I know we're not like, this is not a podcast about floating necessarily, but I really do think it's a great place to start. And so I just want to like corroborate that, that I was an entrepreneur who was like, I was an entrepreneur of a yoga studio who was like stressed AF the first time I floated. And I was actually really afraid of doing it. I was living with a girlfriend and like, she was like, oh, I'm floating all the time. I bring my like lovely quadriplegic person that I work for three times a week. And I was just like, how do you even, like, I was so afraid. Um, and so just as a, like if for people who are interested, I do want to say like the first time I floated, I did 90 minutes. And it was not scary at all. I thought that like I would feel claustrophobic in the because it was like, is it the Asana uh, tank, Dustin? Is that what it's? No, it's called not Asana. It's called uh, the Samadhi Samadhi tank, tank yeah. which they're, is they're harder to find now because they're a bit more old school. Right. But it's like a capsule. Right. And I get a little bit of claustrophobia. So I was a little bit afraid of going into that capsule. And I, I found when I went in it, it was it was not claustrophobic at all all. And, and even more than that, I didn't, I like, I, so I relaxed heavily. I calmed down deeply, but I didn't have like visuals shooting at me or like, I I did have ideas coming in, but there was no anxiety. Like it really was for me at that time, what I needed in that first float was just for my nervous system to go from like, how am I going to make all this work to like, uh, and and that's what happened to me. So it wasn't, mm. it, I was totally in control and it was interesting because you float in it. I mean, obviously, but that was the only bit of sensory perception I would get is that I would have this tiny bit of momentum that would take me to one wall and like my pinky would touch it. And then I would have this tiny bit of momentum that <laughs> took me back to the next wall. And it was like somewhere in there uh, that that back and forth when it slowed where I was able to just like without trying feel my breathing uh, deepen and regulate and, and, and feel myself chill out. So it wasn't like, I was like, I just, cause like people who like, we are going to talk more about psychedelics today, but I don't think, I, I just think like the idea of floating as a really gentle psychedelic experience is true, but it's also this very, like you're in control. You can get out whenever you want. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's like your brain is affected, but you aren't, uh, you don't have to like, give a part of yourself away, which I feel eh, give away is the wrong word, but 
anyway. Um, well, one of the threads that's common between them two is maybe how you might come up against fear mm-hmm. and how do you prepare for an experience that at least you're told is beneficial for you and that there might be you know, a feeling internally that this is something you should do intuitively. But how do you prepare for it? How do you integrate it? How do you manage a risk? How do you increase value? These are all like very common threads between psychedelic medicines that you can practice pushing into with something like floating. And one of the the nicest things to hear from people that are experienced, you know, prior to your first experience is that you can actually prepare to be underwhelmed by it and that that's often more the case (laughs) than than anything. Yeah. But as you actually get practice, you may find that you can handle more and more of the experience and get more out of it. So. Love that. It's a good Yeah. There's the commonality between the fear of possibly going into a float tank, the fear of, it's really the fear of confronting and maybe it's claustrophobia too. But I think another side of that is the fear of confronting your own self, your head, your mind. Like, and that's, I think, where a lot of the fear with psychedelics comes from. And by the way, uh, we're not this, the purpose of this podcast isn't to tell you to like go take a hero dose of mushrooms this weekend. <laughs> like, like really, we, I think I speak for all of us when I say like, we would never tell you to put something in your body that you're not comfortable with. <laughs> right. But to give you permission that if you are intuitively drawn to that curious, looking for just more open conversations around these topics, then we can hold that space. But yeah. The float tank thing, I I got a float session for my dad and I was like, dad, are you going to go? Dad, are you going to go? When are you going to go? Like I was so hell bent on him experiencing this, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it because there's, yeah, res- right. there's a lot of resistance there for a lot of people. Like it's scary to just be with yourself in darkness with no distractions. And since we're talking about the spectrum it might be interesting to talk about another level of sensory deprivation, which I know Dustin has experienced. And I just watched a documentary on this. And that is like the dark, is it dark therapy? Like, what is it? What is it called? Yeah, like dark retreats and dark therapy. Dark, I actually, yeah. I have not experienced that. Oh, you haven't? I, okay. No, I've just been talking about it recently because a very good friend of mine in Calgary hosts them out of her house. Right. Okay. Yes. So I just watched a documentary that Aubrey Marcus produced on a one-week experience he had basically just hanging out in total darkness in a soundproof room and it was really profound just to watch and he had a video a little tape recorder with him and he was just recording what was going on throughout the whole experience we'll link to it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out but like there's another thing that you're not taking a substance but you're consciously choosing to face yourself head on and not be able to run from that experience. 
Ooh, and isn't that like the life of an entrepreneur all of the time too? Yeah. Like, like it's almost psychedelic just in, in that experience of, and I know you talk about that a lot, Shanti. I don't know how much we've spoken about it on the podcast yet, but a little bit of like how like owning your own business and running it is like this Per, like the biggest, maybe not the biggest, I think probably like having a family too, but like one of the biggest personal growth journeys that you can take, regardless of whether you are like you're, you know, you own a tire shop. I, I don't know where that came from, or like you have a, a marketing agency, or you own a, like a, a float space. It's just, I, th- I think so many are, and weren't you just sp- speaking with a death doula the other day too? Like mm-hmm. that too. There's so many different businesses that as like solo people, or maybe people building small teams or, or what have you that, but they're so, so varied and so different. And yet we all experience so many of those same fears. And it really is, I, I, I know, I know you guys experience this too, but it always felt for me. And even in my job now where I'm an employee, but feels for me that like whatever lesson the universe wants me to learn comes up in my job. Right. And if you're like the face of a business in the world, sometimes that happens and comes up in your job in front of like a large or what feels like a large, I mean, more than 10 people feels like a large audience to me. Right. But like in front of a lot of people and you have to sort of like rise up and come to terms and, and, and learn and grow and have so much empathy and compassion for yourself. And as all, as well as the people around you, like all of the time. So, yeah, I think it was interesting how you said that our, our business is like spiritual and it, and it is, but even though it's not like a float space or a like yoga studio or owning like a meditation retreat center, I think all, all businesses can come or at least can be informed by how we see and be in, in the universe. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so well said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we need tools, right? Are you familiar with a book called Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler? They created the Flow Research and Flow Genome Institutes. No. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a book that really explores the nature of going into non-ordinary states of consciousness for the purpose of flow, productivity, and performance. And I think a lot of what we're talking about in this crossover between uh, float tanks, psychedelics, dark retreats, and this the nature of entrepreneurship being such a a deeply personal journey yeah a a lot of that conversation is discussed in that book and the, the fundamental premise of it is that the spectrum of psychedelic states or non ordinary states is democratized kind of for the first time in human history where we can access them and have access to so many different wisdom traditions and tools and we can kind of like dial it in. And they, they presented this beautiful formula for you know the entrepreneur, which is which tools are you using? What is their risk profile? What is their potential value that they can deliver? And where do you kind of like relate to those things? So an example would be 
you know, maybe surfing gives you a huge value because you can enter this flow state as long as you have the skill. If you don't have the skill, the risk goes way up and the value goes way down and you can't access flow, you know, and psychedelics are kind of in that conversation as well. Like, and, you know, if you have a huge dose and very little experience and the wrong setting, the risk is super high, the value is super low. But if you dial in the dose right, you're in the right setting and you pick when and how often you're doing it, maybe the value can go up really high and the risk can be manageable. So where do you have different altered states in your life? How often can you put them there? And in what categories do you put them? And so one of the examples they used a lot was how Burning Man tends to be this center point for you know, the great thinkers of our time and how being in a place like Burning Man forces a person to get out of their own head and enter into a state of what they call communitas, where you, you are kind of like one with the flow of the environment of people that you're with. And how doing that even once a year allows you to enter a state of creativity and flow that is hard to find in other places. And that high, high performing companies like Google actually have selected, you know, their CEO by seeing how a person responds to that experience, you know, credentials aside and how people like Elon Musk, you know, have come up with some of their best ideas from entering an environment like that. But you couldn't be at Burning Man all year long, right? Because that's unsustainable. <laughs> so it's a very interesting concept and I try to apply it to, to my own life as much as possible. Yeah, that's a really great point. I read that book years ago and clearly need to revisit it because I do not remember that, that framework, but that's so, so helpful. And it's interesting that the Burning Man piece is so pivotal too. There is, if, if you're interested in diving deeper, anyone listening to the, also the symbolism of the festival and the chaos. I don't know if you guys read that Charles Eisenstein article, the death of the festival. No. It is so good and goes into how we've always had events where we come together and engage in non-normal, I guess, behavior where we mm. like let let our freak flags fly and we have full permission to do so. And everyone else is doing the same and the collective chaos is is welcomed for this short period of time, once a year, a few times a year, but that that keeps certain cultural tendencies toward actually violence mm. in check because it's an outlet and little off topic, but such an interesting rabbit hole to go down is that idea that we've lost that in a lot of ways, especially with COVID stuff. And will we be able to get it back in a format that's not uh, on Zoom? That's a great yeah. question. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
sort of the great wisdom traditions of the past, we have lost most of most of them because they were like oral traditions that were passed on by actual ritual. And there were festivals. Like I used to be really into like the ancient Greeks and I was really into the pre-Socratics, but you can't learn that much about the pre-Socratics because it's like prior to writing or prior to writing. And this is off topic ish, but even like writing took us away from like the true psychedelic experience of understanding uh, being a human being at as as one with the universe because when we started writing things down we were able to separate ourselves from our ideas and Mm -hmm. like prior to writing like when so writing first came about at least in like ancient greek times to track trade so it was like you know this many grains and this much honey and and like just keeping like a ledger uh but eventually it came into like philosophy and like mythology and all of that jazz and I do think it it moved us away and towards because then experiences could be shared and this does come back to the festival thing which is mostly most of these First of all, these festivals usually involved imbibing in, um, at the very least, beer, right? That that first um, grains that have been fermented into uh, an altering, but but also other plant medicines. But they were like behind closed doors. They weren't behind closed doors, um, but behind behind the veil uh, of like initiation and sharing through through yeah oral history and passing on of of traditions. And I, I do agree that there is, is a bit missing and now, and that hopefully there are ways to, to come back to it. Because I think one thing that might be really good for business owners in relation to psychedelics or just like meditation as, as a psychedelic practice is that psychedelics open you up to the interrelatedness of all things in this universe whereas things like coffee or tobacco or other other drops some some other drugs are actually like things that like put the blinders on and bring mm. you more into and, and not necessarily in a bad way of course everything is problematic if you're not doing it with consciousness and, and thoughtfulness but like they they bring you into like this focused just on one thing and on on ego whereas like psychedelics a lot of the time are more about creating I don't like I don't do hero doses like that's I maybe someday in the right set and setting etc but even a gentle opening I like of the veil or like like creating you know like when you steam your face and your pores open that to me that's a nice way of like approaching because I don't I don't think that we really want to dissolve the ego entirely we came into this world to have an individualized experience of like God state or at least that's you know <laughs> my, my opinion um and psychedelics can right like like blow you in the in the other direction but if at least the the opening uh, with or without imbibing in plant medicine, uh, the opening towards recognizing the interconnectivity, interconnectedness of your business, which is what we talk about with that whole ecosystem idea, but of your business and your transformation and, and, and your ripple effect with the entire globe universe. Like even, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about getting a new computer. Like if you see it, you can see like, well, 
what does the world need to do in order to create that computer, right? Like what kind of strip mining needs to happen for the batteries? Like where are the wires coming from? And so I think that there can be this interrelated uh, psychedelic connected connectivity for every decision we make in our businesses and in our daily lives. And that we're kind of like boxed in to like square homes and like I really see in BC right now, like trying to like decide where the water flows and really like creating the reality around us based on like our egoic needs, not necessarily like ego meaning like to be the best or what have you, but ego being like individualized needs. And I think like coming together for like a Bacchic festival minus whatever sort of ripping a part of animals happened, et cetera, could be a way to, again, open up to that beautiful oneness sensation that Like you said, ethical marketing, I know that like Chantel has like some like ethical marketing is sort of a buzzword in the world right now. And it's like hard to like, we do want to be ethical, but like, this is why in our first episode, I was like, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Like, what does it mean to be like truly ethical and using your virtue, your things you consider virtuous to guide your decisions as, as a business owner and a human being festivals. (sighs) (laughs) yeah yeah I think we should have a whole episode dedicated to that but everyone's definition of ethic ethical is is going to be different right Mm. but I appreciate that that Dustin sees it that way and I like to see it that way too (laughs) without like marketing it as such because yeah there's a lot of like virtue signaling and victimhood in that the whole space too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I even wasn't familiar with the term when I said yeah. when I said those words either. <laughs> That's okay. interesting. Get yourself someone who's sure. not in marketing to run your marketing business. It's a fresh set of eyes for sure. Oh, I was just going to say, I love what Justin said at the beginning, how just being in this world has opened up all these different doors of perception. And that's what psychedelics, anything on that psychedelic spectrum is really all about. Mm. I am, I'm reading this book. Actually, I just finished it. It's called The Midnight Library. And it's about a woman. Have you read it? Well, it's just coming up a lot in conversations around me lately. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, do you know what it's about? Like, for everyone listening, well, it's a, a, a woman who she attempts to take her life and she is, you know, in that limbo space between life and death. And she goes to a library and it's in her own head, but the library is full of books, millions of books. And every book is a possible life that she could have lived had she made a different decision. And there's one book that's the book of regrets and that I don't want to give too much of the book away, but that lists every regret. And it's the regrets that are really like the pivotal choices that she made that had she chosen differently would have totally created a whole different life. So this one idea that comes up in this book again and again and again, and there's a lot of reference to Thoreau in the book. 
So it's this thorough quote that it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. Mm. And how do we see things differently in a culture that is hell bent on us all adhering to the same this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Do what you're told. Follow the rules. This is approved media. This is dangerous. Like, how do we step outside that paradigm and truly see? Because that, I feel, is the only way we will ever create a different reality from what we're experiencing today. Mm. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. <laughs> it's kind of interesting and sad at times to look at the amount of pressure from culture on how to think, how to create, um, how to be. And, you know, I was fortunate enough earlier this year to take part in like a three month community living experiment in just off the coast of Vancouver on Bowen Island. And it was really interesting. The intention of the facilitator was to actually teach us. And he had he had lived in the Osho cult at one mm-hmm. point. And he's a psychologist. And he said, you know, what my work is all about is teaching us how to be embodied leaders, how to learn to live in community again in a meaningful way without sliding into cult behavior and how when you do live in community and you do establish rituals or ways of being um, in the microcosm as well as in the macrocosm, like thinking about our larger culture, how cult-like behaviors naturally emerge through coercion and through control. And how can you notice the emergence of those things? And then how can you tune into yourself in a way that you can notice when that kind of coercive stuff is happening and speak to it directly, challenge the authority, challenge the leadership model and and stick up for yourself. And that was like primarily what we were learning about over those three months. And what we found is that as well-intentioned as one might be to develop you know, intentional community. It's true. Control and toxic leadership and kind of like cult-like behaviors, they spontaneously emerge the more lines you start to draw. You know, oh, we, we have a beautiful prayer at this meal, but last week we were doing the prayer this way. So we should stick to what we were doing last week. We don't want to like change it this week because it's our little ritual that we're doing. And that's like the seed of that structure that gets so hard to break. And unfortunately, our wider culture has has developed just box after box after box. And when we can strengthen our ability to speak to that confidently in a, in a healthy manner and, and step outside of those control measures, I just feel we'll be on the path to much healthier communities and lives and much more enjoyable experiences Mm. together. Mm. I think 
that what you both said was so beautiful, but I want to bring it back to the individual because we also put those boxes on ourselves in order to find a way to fit in. And I think like both the flight, the float tank and the psychedelic experience, speaking to what Chantal was saying earlier, that's one of the ways that they're really scary. And, you know, also when people like, and there's lots of research in this now and like things like, like psilocybin and even like MDMA are being like actually looked at, uh, as, as ways to treat things like PTSD and depression and stuff like that. And so I myself have always had a little bit more of like a open and spiritual mind state around the world. So I remember when I first tried, uh, salvia, it was a crazy experience, but I also, and for those of you who haven't heard of that before, it's like a usually a legal thing in most countries still. And it's like this really intense sort of 15 minute experience where you kind of get like, I want to say like, for me, it felt like uh, the uh, like a book was ripping open and I was like falling back through all these different like universes. I was, I had a big bookshelf next to me. So I'm sure that's, that's part of it. But for me, like when I came out of it, it wasn't like, oh, these are all brand new thoughts that I've never had before because I already had a little bit of that um, open spiritual, like I just always have connected connected to like God in all things without even knowing necessarily what, like having to put a definition on God. But I think a lot of people, um, and I know I had, I had a, a friend who had a really like, Oh man, he was super cool. He got like, you know, hundred percent in the grade 12 math exam and like was on his way to be like an actuary and like, just really like super smart, but also under this idea that the way to succeed in this world was this way. And this is the only way or what have you. And when he got into doing some salvia, it kind of like ripped him open and also he had that ex- that like breakthrough breakdown where he he came to feel like a loss with how to be in the world around him and like what his goal should be and, and all that jazz and I, and I really think that that came from having uh sure it was society and like maybe coercion or what have you but just also like we need to figure out how to be in the world. And if we can be like, oh, if I eat this cereal and go to school at this time and like, and get through these, these things, then we have uh, something to lean on that shows us how to make our decisions and like what things are available. And I think both like the experience of trying to break through as an entrepreneur and, and taking a, a stronger or maybe even a not so strong uh, psychedelic can be really similar to that. Like you need to like get rid of the boxes that you've put yourself in, in order to step up into the person that you're imagining it's possible to be, or you can't even imagine like what, what you could do. Like, like Shanti, it's not like when you first started writing quizzes, you were like, Oh, I wonder like what, what's like, you didn't envision this world that you've created for yourself. Right. You were like, I am going to, sell some quiz copy, help some people get it, grow their audience and like start buying organic food for my son again, because it's not something we can afford right now. But like, then when you stepped into that role, like, like the ideas of like what you could do in the online marketing world, probably like blew your mind in the same way that like, 
you know, smoking some purple salvia 10x or whatever, 25x or whatever could do if that, yeah, trying not to say if that makes sense. If you're listening to this podcast and you hear me say if that, if that makes sense too many times, please hit me up on Instagram and tell me that my, 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 uh, call it a tick because that's not exactly right, but my, my uh, patterns are coming through too hard. If that makes yeah. sense. Well, and to that point, and I think even like this really ties in beautifully with the collective thing too, and those cult-like mechanisms is the fact that we as humans crave mm-hmm. and desire control. Yes. And when that is eroded, what do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we navigate that? But the world of entrepreneurship is very little is in your control. So knowing what is, what isn't, being okay with that space in between, I think that's some of the medicine that is not always rainbows and unicorns. It can be so painful and confronting and and you're looking directly at your shadow and all those aspects of self and culture that you don't want to look at. Can you keep going without white knuckling it down the highway all the time, right? <laughs> you, can you just enjoy the ride? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Dustin, when I, I remember like maybe like the third time, like, cause you and I have, were holding similar spaces in, in a community, but didn't know each other that well. Like when I first started going to float space and I remember going there and uh, just being like <laughs> shocked because you were telling me about this like micro dosing experiment you were doing. Do you feel comfortable speaking a little bit about that or, or not so much? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm here for today. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what I think is missing a little bit from the conversation in psychedelics is what is permission. And this is one of the things that you learn when you do it more is that you can actually develop a relationship with, you know, the psychedelic itself and inform your decisions uh, based on the experiences you're having. Um, And it's a very empowering experience. And one of the things that is so common is this separation between like big doses and small doses. And like, you know, it's, it's either a medicine or it's a tool, you know, and you're either taking big doses to heal or to have some kind of like transformative or conversion experience. Um, And you put so much pressure on it you know, or you're taking small amounts and you're channeling it for like increased creativity or performance or or this or that. One of the things I was really curious about during that time was like, what actually is happening in my experience if I take small amounts of psilocybin and try not to control it so much? So I was varying, I was varying the dosage a little bit. Okay. How do I feel now? Um, how are my days going? I was taking little breaks between. I was trying different protocols. So I was doing, you know, less than a tenth of a gram every day, where I was doing um, at other times less than half a gram once every three days and giving my neurochemistry a bit of a break. And what's what's working for me? 
you know, can I do my job more effectively or less? And, and is it contributing or not? And I found this really beautiful practice where for me, like what worked for me personally was about 0.3 of a gram and practicing yoga. And that contributed more to my performance than anything, as opposed to like, I'm doing 0.1 of a gram while working, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to do it at the same time. I found a dedicated period of time for me to be in personal practice, get into my body with a, just an, an amount of mushrooms that for my body, my body weight and the capacity that my own mind had to handle the experience and not get too overwhelmed. The psilocybin at that dose opens up the nervous system. So more energy is flowing through my spine. I had better balance and better focus. And I could be in my practice for three, four hours, get completely out of my like monkey mind and wring my body out get all the, I have a good friend who says your body really is just tubes and wires. Mm. And when you get into practice, you're doing two things. You're, you're wringing out the tubes and you are strengthening the wires. And I just find that such a beautiful okay. statement, um, mm -hmm. especially when you learn to move energy in your spine, it's kind of like over time you can upgrade from like 110 volt you know, circuitry powering a small, you know, appliance in your house, like a lamp over time, you get that 220 volt, you know, oven grade spine that can handle more voltage, right? Handle more information. And psychedelics were really my gateway to learning about that during that time. Um, and I, I did that experiment for about six months. And I, I think I learned more about my personal relationship to using mushrooms in that time than, than any large dose uh, experience that I've ever had. So I guess I have a question there. Uh, like you experimented with lots of different ways of, of doing it. And in the end, not that there's an end, but came to doing a little bit and practicing for a pretty long time. And you said that that helped you more in your life than like taking a little bit regularly and doing your job and stuff. So can you speak to how you were able to perhaps like make that decision? Like this is what's helping me say perform in the way that I want to perform. Yeah. I think, I think that's what, what I'm interested in. Like, how did you know, like, that by doing it that way, it was working better, say, bringing it back to the podcast, like for your business or even for your personal life. Yeah. Can you speak? To yeah, I can, take a sh I, can I can take a shot at it. Sure. I, I come back to this sense of, of personal responsibility, curiosity, and making decisions from an internal place. And I think for an entrepreneur or anybody that's trying to create something real and something new, if you're constantly deferring to other people and looking for validation, uh, you're already kind of behind the curve and you're not in touch with what you're actually creating, like fully and fully embodying that. And when it came to making a choice for myself about how I want to use this specific tool, in this case, uh, psilocybin in my own life, 
I had to learn to give myself permission and then to come back to that place of curiosity where I, I don't actually know. I can, I can let somebody else tell me how to microdose. I can read it from a book or I can like let go of the control a little bit and, and give myself permission to discover something new that's personally meaningful and that's personally real. And I, especially mushrooms will teach you that because there's not a standard mm. for mushrooms. You don't know exactly what the potency is and you, you don't know exactly where they came from a lot of the time or how they were grown. And there's 200 plus strains of psilocybin <laughs> mushrooms that vary in potency. Mm -hmm. And one batch varies to the next. And different parts of the mushrooms have different amounts of psilocybin than other parts of the mushroom. So if you're trying to read somebody else's prescription, you know, about how you should use it and how it's going to interact with your neurochemistry specifically and your body weight and body mass index and all that stuff. Like you're not going to find what you're looking for. That might be a, an okay place to start, but eventually you need to take responsibility for it and play with it so that you can figure what, what that is for you and then have the conviction to follow that and have the courage to follow that. And I think that's so true for the entrepreneur's journey. Like if you're starting out, read, learn, be informed. And at some point you need to take responsibility for your idea, have the courage to take a risk on it and not follow anybody else and blaze the trail and say, this is mine. Um, and I think that's where the real, you know, the real value comes from people's businesses. When somebody's doing something new and they're willing to risk it, yeah, Amen. so well said. <laughs> so, so interesting that you experimented with that for a decent amount of time. And it probably takes that to really get a sense of your personal relationship with this, with this medicine that, that, like you said, varies so much. I feel like I have these caps that are 200 milligrams and that's supposed to be a micro dose. And sometimes I'll take them and they seemingly do nothing. And other times I'll take one and I can't, I can't work. <laughs> I can't like, like, I'm just flying. So there's also your own mm. inner terrain and whatever chemistry, energy, dynamic is going on mm -hmm. in that moment where you take, take psilocybin or probably even LSD, other substances too, but psilocybin is primarily what I've personally experimented mm -hmm. with. And yeah, there's, there's no way of, of knowing a hundred percent how this is going to play out. And so it's that like leap of faith and trust and surrender that is so difficult to hold when you're running a business and you like want things to go a certain way and you want it to work and you want to be a trailblazer, but there is a level of surrender that you have to move through that, that world with, or you'll just go nuts. Mm. And I think that speaks to also 
I don't think anyone thinks that we're recommending you like, you know, take mushrooms and then go to work because <laughs> we're not, but more, more just like the creating a space maybe. And this is what I, what I liked about when you were saying like taking a little bit and doing a bunch of yoga actually ended up helping me in my business and the rest of my life is because it's not necessarily not combining work mm-hmm. and that altered state, but it is like, I, I don't do very many psychedelics and if I'm going to do something other than like have a hoot on a on a doobie or something I kind of want to have like a, a spaciousness of a day or two before and a day or two after before I'm responsible for anything and like as an entrepreneur uh I, that's my favorite thing about this job maybe that's not fair but like I like take weekends off <laughs> and like when I was doing entrepreneurial life I was just on 24 7 I, I remember like you know, like a front desk person being like, Don, nobody showed up to teach this class. I'm like, oh, like it's 7 p.m. I already worked all day. I might get home. I'm like, yeah, cool. And I just like went down in my skirt. And luckily it was like a restorative yoga class. So I wasn't like, you know, trying to like, I was just like, here I am, you know, luckily I live close seven minutes later, like I'm on and I can hold space for people. So I don't think we're saying like, if you're holding space for people or you have like big deliverables due or what have you like, oh, maybe this is a time to start microdosing. And I've never tried psilocybin or anything, anything psychedelic before. But I do think there is this space for, first of all, creating a space for yourself to have a breakthrough experience and whether it's just going out into the woods, because if you go out into the woods and you're usually in your square house with your square windows, staring at your square screen, and then you just like go hang out in the forest, that is a psychedelic experience. And your, your mind state and your brain waves are able to move in a way that they couldn't based on the shapes that were already around you. So I think that creating space for opening experiences can be what gives you the idea for that like brand new offer that your audience needs or that system that your business is missing and the way that you could like connect things in order to like our last podcast, like in order to like scale better or what have you. And if you're just like in the thick of your business all day, every day, dreaming about it, you know, like using things like coffee to wake up and like wine to go to sleep or what have you, you, it's really hard to get out of your own way. And I think that that is something that psychedelics, meditation, any sort of a physical or spiritual practice can offer you and also why we're so afraid of it because we like being in our own way like we're Mm -hmm. comfortable where we're at even if we're not comfortable where we're at it's like we know how to deal with it right and when we get out of our own way we're in this like entirely new space where we don't understand and everything is alien and like sure we're still on earth but you know, all of a sudden we're like being asked to step up and speak to a crowd of people or have a sales call with like a really big company or someone you really admire. And you're like, shit, like, how do I, how do I hold space for myself in this space? And I think just to say space one more time, it can be (laughs) creating space for yourself to be outside of your mind and outside of your business, whether that is through psychedelics or just like a yoga nidra or something uh, like a sleep meditation to allow new ideas to come forth and stop like 
clasping and binding your way through everything. You know, I think this, I mean, to quote more space, um, (laughs) it brings up such an interesting conversation around containers and intentional space creation and kind of the interplay of like chaos and order of like structured, unstructured art and science and how like life and entrepreneurship and these altered states are all about like layered containers. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, if you're constantly working in your business and you're constantly like looking at square screens and organizational charts and deliverables and dates and things like that, you're kind of like living in this unstructured open container that's all about structure, (laughs) right? Yeah. And so... (laughs) it's like you're surrounded by this like boundaryless structure and what you may need to offset that is like structured boundaryless time. So Mm -hmm. like creating an intentional container for you to be outside of structure. And I find that I see that in so many areas of my life and to maybe connect this with like notion. I know. Right. <laughs> right I just, it. I'm like, it's coming. I know it. <laughs> you don't <laughs> even need me back, to bring the right? connection in. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I have a personal notion board as an example. And one of the things I'm working on is like my books, like my own books. And what I put in there are like my own manuals for things. And one of them is called my medicine cabinet. So I've got this like very structured, set of protocols, like my own instructions for how and when I take certain things, the resources that I call upon, recipes, different like natural medicines and things like that, and when to use them and what dosages and things. So I don't have to keep them stored in my head. And it's like, I have like, I don't know, like my own little witch's manual, but in a modern context, like within this integrated personal organization system. And I have found that I'm way more likely to to schedule and structure, you know, dedicated time to be in free flow if I have that sort of system set up. Um, And to kind of pull it back to that original book we were talking about, Stealing Fire, that's one of their recommendations as well is you know, when do you schedule a psychedelic journey for yourself? Because maybe once a year is enough. And as an entrepreneur who's working all the time, that might be all the time you can afford, but intentionally creating that time will will return massive dividends for yourself. And it doesn't have to be with a substance. It can just be scheduling the time to be in nature or or any other kind of freeform thinking or non-thinking put it on your calendar (laughs) right and honor that and I love what you said about getting it out of your head I store I feel like I store all this information in my head and then sure when you're in an optimal state you can pull those things out but when is anyone in an optimal state at all times and then it's a shitty feeling to be like, ah, oh, what was that thing? I had the great idea. I knew I needed to take that supplement to help me, whatever. But what was it? And 
then you're just, it's that messiness, that chaos that could be mitigated. And as someone who has always resisted, I would say, project management platforms and putting things in a system because there's some story in my personal history around that being the antithesis to creative freedom Ah, or freedom at all. It's been an interesting journey to move out of that. And what is it, Jocko Willink, that like hardcore Navy SEALs dude, (laughs) who says (laughs) discipline equals freedom. And it's only in recent years that that has run true for me. Like if I'd have read that at a younger age, I would have totally discounted any validity in such a statement. But it's becoming more and more of a reality in that if there's no discipline, if there's no structure, if there's no container, if there's no system, if there's no way to put what's in your head somewhere where you can trust that it will be safely kept and that you can go back to it and let it go for the moment. It's like, I don't know, it's like trying to hold 17 hundred marbles mm-hmm. and maybe that's where lose your marbles comes from because <laughs> every little thing is like a marble and no human on the planet can hold all of that so you need a way to contain it and then you spoke to like integration Dustin space for integration of psychedelic experiences anywhere on that spectrum and even just the human experience like what does integration look like? Is there some notion component to that? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny actually uh, to say that because, you know, one of the, the issues with people taking large doses of a psychedelic is there, there's something called the pink mist. So like after you have experienced this amazing enlightening experience, you're like, I am one with everything. Everything is awesome. Nothing could be better. I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. And then it just like kind of fades away and you just kind of get right back to the same patterns of thinking that were there before. And one of the most important things to do is while you're in that pink mist is try to convert the feelings and the insights you have into like actionable steps for yourself as a gift in the future, because in your wisdom, you know that the pink mist doesn't last. And when you're in a different mental state later, you want to be able to follow the instructions that you've already written for yourself from that enlightened place. And I have found that when I spend the time to turn insights into actions and those actions into systems, I'm much more likely to be able to integrate the wisdom from the experience and allow it to take me forward. And I think one of the like amazing things about entheogenic, to add a new word, but like psychedelic medicines in particular, especially the stronger ones uh, that come from nature specifically, is that in their wisdom, they tend to not give you more knowledge that you haven't integrated from them in the past. Kind of like Terrence McKenna used to have this quote, like, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep going back to it, 
you're going to keep getting the same message until you've actually written written it down and applied it in your own life. You're not going to get to like, you know, grade one if you haven't completed kindergarten yet, you know, mm -hmm. and integration is the way to move to the next level so that when you visit that psychedelic the next time, you can receive something new. Mm, I love that. It reminds me of like in, in just like relationship theory, actually, or in this relates to business to like whatever is coming up for you in your relationship or in your business if you don't deal with it and integrate it while it comes up it's just going to come up harder it's just going to like so like yeah. if you're having trouble in a job uh, it's your job to like you know, speak for yourself and, and deal with it. And I mean, that's, you are in relation with other people, but as an entrepreneur, your business, you're also in relation to other people. So like that same thing, that same lesson's going to keep coming up until you, I think I, I love the idea of integrate it because it's, it's, you could experience it and even move slightly past it. But unless you're like, I don't know, journaling or like, like you said, like creating yeah insights into actions and actions into systems, creating systems around like, say, say it's boundaries and boundaries could be like, whether that's like someone you're sleeping with, or if it's like just around your business, you like, you know, you need a boundary, but you allow it to be like stepped over or you step over it yourself all of the time, then you're just going to have that same lesson continually come up. And, and I do think that everything ha that happens in our lives is a lesson if, if we choose to take it in that way or, or a teaching. So yeah, I, I, re I, yeah, I really love that. I really loved also like to bring it back to our business. Like I feel like via notion, um, you've taken like insights, like from seeing how we're working and how we work with like employees, subcontractors. And I, I feel like you've been able to like see it from a top level coming in without that marketing background, but coming in with like having tried so many different models in, in your own business on like how things can work. And I feel like you've been like, here's an insight and I'm going to turn it into like a system in this project. And, and notion feels like this boundary boundary list uh, project management tool because you can actually and we're like not affiliates for notion or anything guys although <laughs> like i think maybe be. we should be uh <laughs> like want to sponsor us notion uh anyway um but it, it feels like you can take this because it is it, it's, it's a creative platform where they're like here are all the things you can do now go forth and do things with them and what's been really cool for me is like you know, like you'll create something based on insights on how you see us working. And then I'll be like, oh, like with deadlines, right? I was like, no, we need an internal deadline. We need a client deadline and we need a delivery deadline. But like, you didn't quite understand because you hadn't seen how it worked enough. And like, it was like in us making a mistake and then being like, oh shit, we better get to work on that project because we have less time than we thought that now we have like this like beautiful table that we can use for every single project, regardless of what, what we're doing, what the deliverables are. And we like have this like, like, okay, this, this is our system for it. And in that, then the creative person, that copywriter or, or that designer 
or what have you has permission to like, ooh, or even like our spreadsheet, which is like more of like a co-created effort from within the, in the company, but this like conversion research spreadsheet that we've created that like every time you start a project, you like make a copy of it, put it into the like internal team folder and then like disseminate the project regardless of if it's like a, I don't know, like a high powered leadership coach or a app or a software company of course, different things will come into play, but we have this like system where everything's there. It allows, it, it allows the creative to be creative and, and to create things. And then it allows like other creative people to come in and understand where they're coming from, why they did that. And like how to like build strategy based on this amalgamation of stuff that like when Shanti was like a one woman show was all in her brilliant brain. Right. So it's like, it's like, yeah, I feel like with what you've been doing with our project management, like with notion is like taking kind of like the systems that we do intuitively as the type of humans that we are, and then turn them into something that we can like pass on to other people that they get to like put their own stuff into and then grow with. And now we have this like really beautiful system that's still in its infancy, but is actually, maybe it's more of a teenager. I'm not sure. It seems like it's happened really quickly, but we do have really amazing people on our team who have been like working in like on projects like this for a while now. But yeah, I feel it. Yeah. I feel like our notion is like a psychedelic experience, but (laughs) one, one that's like a gentle one, like that I was speaking about. And I know like, we've got like people who like, we, we have a designer that we work with, with Interact, who we've also brought onto our team. And she's like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Like everything makes sense. Right. And like a really amazing subcontractor that we worked before with, she's like, okay, cool. I'll send you a notion board. I was like, girl, I'll send you a notion board. And then like, I got this like email, like, wow, this notion board is so beautiful. And even Sandra, who we interviewed last week, um, Shanti and I, afterwards, I was like, like Sandra, she's our online business manager. I was like, Sandra, you have got to see what we're doing with, with Notion. And she's like, oh yeah, I'd love to see it because most people like try to use it. And because of the boundarylessness, it's just like this kind of this mess, right? Where you, where it doesn't actually like lead into a better workflow. And so this is how I think that psychedelics could relate to uh, Notion. But also like, I think that part of your ability to jump into our crazy team with all sorts of different things going on and then like research a bunch of different project management platforms that we invited you to research and then be like, nah, I think we should use this one. I've never tried before. And I'm just going to go deeply into it to create something. I don't know that you might've been comfortable doing that if it hadn't been like through giving yourself permission to experiment in all of the ways that you've experimented, both with your own business in the past and with like your practice and, and, and like, yeah. That's, that's an interesting have. reflection for me. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, there's so many things to talk to Dustin about, but I really just want to talk about Notion. <laughs> yeah. And I keep messaging Dustin. I'm like, oh, you'll be so proud of me. I started this Notion board and this one and like on like my own personal life stuff. Right. Which otherwise, like, let me just tell you guys, 
just on my desk right now, I just counted the number of, of notebooks I have that are on the go. And there are six just on my desk. So yeah. Sorry, seven, seven. And if I go into this nook back here, I will be able to find probably 12 more that have a few pages filled out and then abandoned, never revisited, never again. And so the other day, I don't know, I wasn't like, oh, mushrooms or anything. I was just, I had just done a yoga practice and some like just messages came through and I was like, yeah, I need to capture that. And I pulled up Notion and I started just a new little page wrote it all down and I can, I know exactly where it is. I can go to it. I can revisit it. I can add to it. And I don't have to spend a bunch of time like rifling through all these random notebooks, Mm -hmm. which there's a time and a place for like writing by hand. Absolutely. But to be able to transfer it somewhere where like also the system I would have used before was Google drive. And that was like a total mess because you can't see everything that's going on at a glance, whereas Notion you can. So, yeah. I love that it. I've just counted my notebooks. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and that's your Virgo, and that's why we think you're an Enneagram 5 too, right? It's <laughs> like, I think the 8 is the like, yeah, guys, thanks for letting me know about all these different platforms I could use to organize you. I'm going to do this instead. That's like an Enneagram 8 because that's like the like... I'm an eight. Well, I, I always forget like what the main title of it is, but uh, well, like rebel or something like that. The individualist the challenger. Yeah. challenger. Yeah, I'm a challenger. Exactly. Yeah. I. But then like that, like that five thing, like going in deep diving and then figuring out how it can be useful and not to like go on about Notion even more. But I was like, chatting with a friend last night and he was like, oh, I think you would like this documentary and this documentary. It was all this like art stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch that right now. Like that's, I'm not in a watching place. And then I was like, oh, I could create a notion board for like watching things. Cause I'm like a sort of person that like, it's like, okay, I'm going to knit. I want to knit for hours. I'll put on a show and I like will sit and look at Netflix and be like, no, no, no. For like an hour. Like I used to like, I actually got rid of Netflix because like I would spend more time saying like looking through it and being like, I don't want to do any of that than um, like, you know, being like able to consume this beautiful art. Right. So I'm, I'm going to like create a notion board with different, like, and then I, and I like, I could envision all of the ways that it could be. Um, and yeah. Can that, Chantel, be a shared, can that be a shared board? Yeah. And then it can be shared. Books, like books for me, that's books. And I'll spend, yeah hours like just looking through like what book should I read next and I only I recently started using Goodreads as a tool for like making lists and keeping track of all the books I want to read and have already read but Notion I think would be an upgrade because like in my e-reader I'm always highlighting quotes and just things I want to keep but there's nowhere to transfer them if this thing breaks Right. I don't know. Uh, Kobo is nowhere near Kindle with um, like cloud transference. So if it breaks, all of my meaningful moments from a a certain book Mm -hmm. just disappear. You know, there might even be an integration there between some of them because, I mean, 
I'm guessing somebody who knows code could probably whip one up pretty quick and just plug like an API directly from your Goodreads into a Notion database so that all your like highlights and things get saved, you know, off of Goodreads. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, that might be pretty cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Can we turn that into an NFT? Okay, just joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, oh, that's a whole other rabbit hole. That's a whole other episode. Which, we, which I think that we should do sometime. But okay, so this like integration. So now we're kind of moving out of like entrepreneurialism, but not really. But this like the cloud, the connectivity that's possible with the internet. Yes, it's creating this like divisive world that's like pretty hard to be in at times. But the idea of like integrating your digital reader to your notion board and then sharing it with your besties to me is like an incredibly psychedelic way of like being in the world. And I think that the internet and the way it opens up and has did, hopefully still will, uh, but opened up and democratizes like information sharing and education and like we literally use the word download when we're talking about mm. receiving messages from the universe right now, you know, and that word, it, it didn't exist before the internet. So I really do think that there is this, like, as much as it's tubes and wires, just like the body, the internet and things like Zapier and like Notion and, uh, and Google Drive. Like, cause my first thought with that, like, oh, I need to make a watch list was like, oh, I could make it into a, a Google sheet. And uh, like, I just learned how to use spreadsheets a couple of years ago. Right. And then I was like, oh no, I'll make it into a table. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I just, I just think that like the innovation happening, like, and even you being able to be like, oh, someone who needs who knows code speaking of which trevor you're probably not listening but if you are get at me because i would totally hire you to build that integration if we can't find it trevor's my like computer science tutor who got me through my two two semesters of computer science and so i could graduate university because i would not have been able to but if not trevor then maybe some other people anyone out there like that's a cool idea and we would use it so mm -hmm. we'll write you a quiz <laughs> <laughs> to like help you help you get get it into more people for it too so I, I think uh probably the next real thing for small business entrepreneurs that's becoming more and more accessible is the capacity to automate now there are things programs like one of them is called UI Path, and I, I've just gotten really into this company recently because I'm traveling with you know a few people that work for them, and it literally builds they build like robots for you custom that can like actually move your mouse around the screen. They can what? read an invoice and they can enter that invoice data into a spreadsheet for you, like tasks that you would normally have to do by hand, especially data conversion and tracking, um, cool. you can set up a bot to do that for you without code. It's now just like a graphical user interface and you can, you know, train the mouse to do a thing and then capture your automation and then run it as a bot. And for, for everybody building an online business or even not an online business, just using a computer for some aspect of their business and you're trying to scale and be more productive so that you do have time in your life to not be working 24 seven, 
uh, maybe to schedule some of these opportunities to get into a free flow state of mind, you know, offloading some of this, you know, mundane workflow by leveraging automation software is going to be a really big deal for you. Um, and I hope that at our company here, we can just continue to build those things so that you can use your brilliance, you know, to, to add value instead of using your brain to just complete tasks, you know? Yeah. And to tie a bow on it, those technologies, I don't think they would exist if it weren't for people's ability to see things from an alternate perspective than what is considered normal or even accepted at the time. So those groundbreaking discoveries, like that's where that comes from. And giving yourself permission or a process to tap into that is a gift, whether it's a float tank experience or a micro dose or a hero dose of <laughs> ayahuasca in the jungle in Peru, like. Mm. Or a notion board. <laughs> or a notion <Yeah>. board. <laughs> or, or a regular yoga practice where you just yeah. do the same boring ass stuff all the time. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't room for it, but that's something I wanted to just yeah, you got something. Go. Well, there was one more thing I wanted to, to say at a certain point in our conversation. I forgot. But there was a famous copywriter, and I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was Ogilvy. Very well known. If I email Rob Marsh after <laughs> this, he will know. And every day his practice was just to either like call up a stranger or walk down to the coffee shop and just have a conversation with a random person that he did not know and ask them their opinion on fill in the blank, like whatever project he was working on at that moment. So even a conversation where you can put down your judgment and your busyness and just listen to someone else's perspective and attempt to see the world through their eyes, even that can be a mind-altering experience. 100%. I love that. You just inspired me to sort of like sneakily ask people for their advice and wisdom without mentioning that like I'm working on a particular project or something. Mm -hmm. So like, what's your opinion on on this? Right. Yeah. So smart. I love that. (laughs) And people like, you think people would be annoyed, but people love that shit. Most people like... A genuine question that's not, uh, how's it going? Like, mm. no, like, what do you think of AI taking all our jobs? Do you, what's your opinion on that? Like, right? And it could, it could lead to some long, long combos, but uh, worthwhile practice, I think. So much. Yeah. And now I think that we should have another podcast on the idea of like AI taking our jobs or AI automating things so we can provide more value or do deeper, more fulfilling work than say data entry or data Mm -hmm. entry or however Mm -hmm. you say it. Yeah. And will we create some version of Brave New World and Soma where we have access to mind-altering substances, maybe in a less dystopic way. Mm. What 
that could look like. I'm holding a vision for that. Yes, less <laughs> dystopia. Yeah, yeah, yes, please. <laughs> More connection. Yeah, um, there's a great series though on Prime, the new so Red Worlds. So good. Yeah. If you are like me and spending way too much time trying to decide what to watch instead of watching, I think there's only one season, so you could maybe get through it very quickly, <laughs> depending. But um, yeah, Brave New World, so good, so beautiful, and also relevant. When it's time to wrap up, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna read a quote from from William Blake. So. Is that are we at that time on in our boundaried boundarylessness in our nuanced long form conversations? We could probably keep going all day with this one, yeah. right? But is there anything else, Dustin, that you want to impart upon our listeners or Chantal? You want to share? I am complete and wow. just in reverence of both of you. Thank you for being here yes thank you so much you guys it's been a pleasure diving in to all these things that i love to think about and talk about (laughs) yeah for sure definitely i was like shanti is dustin gonna come on and she was like oh i don't know he was kind of like maybe so then i slacked him i'm like you don't want to come on and talk about entrepreneurialism and psychedelics he's like oh yeah i'm in i didn't know that's what you wanted me to talk about i'm like yeah like you could go for hours couldn't you so yeah thank you so much for joining us and this is kind of a vulnerable topic that not everyone in the world is going to resonate with or be into so i like applaud you both and myself for being like open to exploring and then yeah i'll I'll just wrap with an oft quoted uh, William Blake quote, which is the doors of perception were cleansed. Everything would appear to man as it is infinite for man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks in his cavern. Mm. So yeah, cleanse your perception. However you need to, whether it's by being open to a conversation with someone who has a different idea than you or by taking a freaking week off and traipsing through the woods and letting your eyes see things that are far away and not square boxes. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. If you made it through this conversation, then you have a beautifully long attention span, friend. Mm, Grateful for you guys. Thank you. Thank you both. It's it's been a slice. (laughs) Uh. Whoa, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, Take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA 
quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.